Welcome to the Be Audacious podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today for a whole new episode. I'm Mrs. Cassandra Gay. Take a listen. On today's episode, we have Casey Van Norman and Not only have I had the privilege of getting to speak with her for the podcast, but I got to meet her in January at her book tour here in Oklahoma. And she is as sweet as she is sassy and spunky. And she is, she's the real deal. She is the one where you're like, you're reading the book or you're talking to her and you're like, we could be best friends. Uh, She's just completely adorable, but she's also so transparent in things that most people won't want to talk about, especially uh, just the struggles that she's been through, the the journey she's been on. And without me rambling anymore, Casey's going to share her testimony. And then you need to go pick up her new book, Nothing Wasted. It is good, y'all. It's good. And here's Casey. Well, howdy. My name is Casey Van Norman, and I live in College Station, Texas which is the home of Texas A&M University and over 75,000 university students. So it gets really rowdy in Texas, but that's okay because we're Texans and that's what we do. We're rowdy. I grew up in East Texas and uh, my siblings and I laugh and say, it's just a wonder that Jack and Debbie didn't kill us. And that's Jack Daniels and little Debbie Uh, because we grew up in a really poor neighborhood with low income Um, parents who worked full-time jobs and their best to support us. And we grew up in a home um, that just had zero emotional language and really loved with our parents who loved the best that they knew how to love based on growing up in a background where you're really just in survival mode all the time. And that's kind of how my house felt growing up, me as the oldest of three Uh, My mom and dad just uh, married really young out of high school and loving us the best they could in survival mode, trying to pay the bills. Um, And, you know, I I just always say to myself, I am just the most unlikely person to be doing what I'm doing now to be, oh, good grief, almost 40 years old this year. I cannot get over that. To have a daughter, 14 years old, a son, 11 years old, to be married to my husband, Justin, uh, almost 20 years now. Um, that in itself, the mark of, of our, our story and my marriage and the fact that we are still married, that is proof that there is a God. And uh, it just blows me away the way that God loves us. And he uses all of these crazy, unlikely rebellious, scandalous parts of our story to draw us into himself over and over how he just comes after us every single morning. And that's what he's done for me my whole life. And I'm here. I'm a professional counselor, a licensed chemical dependency counselor. I work um, re-entering offenders out of prison into community. And I work with women out of our detention center and I just help them regain hope rebuild trust, work through addiction, work through recovery of trauma. So that's my main job. And then I run a nonprofit here in our backyard where sometimes we have women that just don't have a home, don't have any family, no networks, no community. And um, we have some houses here in our backyard and they come and they live and we source them with friends and with family and with connection and and, uh, help them build their resume and get jobs. And that's this 
crazy life that I get to live and write and go meet people and all of it, all of it, all of it, because I was the least likely candidate to know Jesus and believe in Jesus. And God just beat the doors down of my life, took me to the bottom of myself um, so that I would believe him. And that's been the grand arc of my story is it is one thing very much to believe in God and very much a different thing to believe God. And that was the turning point for me to find true freedom. All these things we talk about in the church that sound so great in our Christianese language that we want to be free. We want to be liberated. We want grace. We want to surrender. We want to obey all good and well, but how does that look? And what does that look like from a girl like me who grew up in this super volatile family uh, with a dad that walked out and then went into my teenage years with this perception of who I believed God was and who I believed myself to be that was completely false because of uncontrollable circumstances of my childhood. And the main thing that I believed, the main lie I believed, was that I would ultimately be rejected. Even on my best day, of course, for my worst days, ultimately, there was no true acceptance for me there. And at nine and 10, when your dad's walking out, you don't have the words to put on those big adult feelings. You just are fearful. And you begin to learn these self-preservation uh, techniques and patterns that you repeat. And those things that fire together, they wire together. And those become a memory. And those become an identity. Um, and to make it even better, I grew up in the Bible Belt of the world where it is very easy to be a Christian in Texas. We have all of the resources. We have all of the Bible teachers. We have all the conferences and events. Um, every th We are spoon-fed Christianity um, in the part of the world where I live. And so we just, uh, all of this uh, dysfunction walked into church past the deacon barricade every single Sunday after we just lost it on each other with obscenities, you know, flying in the car. Um and knowing what we're what we're doing at home and um, just how dysfunctional the environment is, man, you know it's really true that I walked into church every single Sunday as a young woman, as an adolescent, believing in God. I really did. I believed that I loved God very much, and because I really wanted Him to be true, I wanted someone to save me from this disaster and all the pretty people. Uh, like the Disneyland of faith were there and I wanted to be on that ride. Whatever they look like is what I wanted to be. And so I, I clung to church and I clung to the Bible and I read it even as a young woman and I believed in God as much as I could and knew how to. Um, and yet my family is just fracturing and my father is really spiraling into this low end of depression um, with, alcoholism and anger and my mom spiraling into the high end depression with sleeplessness and anxiety and panic attacks. And here I am trying to navigate through all of this um, and really, really, really wanting God to be true, but just not understanding how he could love someone like me who came from something like me. And um, at 15 years old, I had a really traumatic experience, which traumatic experiences happen for 
so many of us in so many different ways. It's most always the crux of our life. A traumatic experience is that thing that happens in our life that pushes us off center. It pushes us out of what we think we know. Um, it forces us to look at realities that we've never considered before. And what makes it a trauma is that it doesn't rationalize. Our emotions can't connect it to the reality. So there's a, rea- a reality happening around us in a trauma that doesn't fully connect to our brain, our mind. Um, we've never had this happen before. And so we're just kind of floundering around in this experience and with nothing to process it through. And, and that happened to me at 15. I was um, brutally raped by an older man. And of course, as a 15-year-old, here I am uh, in church and serving in the church nursery and going to youth group and uh, devotedly showing up at the uh, how to keep your love true and keep yourself pure to my youth pastor's talks. Bless him. I think he spent our entire you know youth annual budget on the True Love Waits conference and um, kind of in a, a crazy, ironic turn of events. I three months before I was sexually assaulted, I went with my friends to the True Love Waits conference and. That's not a thing these days, but it was in the 90s. And you go to the front and you get your True Love Weights ring and you put it on your hand. And that's just a symbol. It's a symbol kind of a, of a contract that you you literally sign a contract. Also, we won't talk about the uh, dysfunction and all that. But you sign a contract, you wear a ring, and you're saying to everyone, I'm saving myself for a marriage. I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. I'm pure and I'm making this promise to God. And then three months later, I'm raped. And so the, the the reality for me in that trauma is, God, I made a promise to you. And I, with everything that I have, wanted that to be true and meant for that to be true and meant that promise. And yet you did not keep yours. And so now that is the um, lie that is forged in me that God has somehow taken his hands off of my life and allowed all these things to happen and um, that it's my fault that this has happened, that it's what I deserve um, because of my life that this has happened. And the horrible part of it all was was the, the man was older and comes from a very affluent family and I'm over here on the other side of the tracks, literally in a low-income family whose parents are now divorced, whose parents are just gone off the rails, and everybody in the town it's, um, was raised in a town of 30,000 people, so everybody thinks they know your business. And um, if I told anyone, I knew that no one would believe me. And so now I go through high school and I carry this festering thing, this thing that festers inside me and um, leads me into, um, oh, man, so many dysfunctional self-preservation tactics, mainly um, sabotage. I learned really early on to sabotage any intimacy that would get close to me. Uh, What I really wanted was an acknowledgement from this man who never acknowledged an apology from this man. Even going back further, I would have loved an apology from my father who walked out, an acknowledgement that that wounded us all incredibly deeply and influenced decisions that we'd make for the rest of our life. Acknowledgement, apologies, those are things we want. And those are the things that can fester inside of our heart, all of these things we think we need. 
um, that God cannot satisfy. That's the lie that God cannot even satisfy even those things. And so we start to desire that. And then we develop over the course of our life. If we don't deal with this unprocessed pain, we learn to sabotage our intimacy, our vulnerability. So we create things around that. You get too close to me and I'm going to throw up this. And that's what I learned to do as a teenager and a young adult. I just, I learned to, for me, it was chaos. And I was really, really good at doing the things of God, but completely missing Him. I love creating Bible tools to help you be in the Word more often. I also love to create Bible tools that have a unique personality just like you. And so I have created something that is unique, fun, colorful, different kind of themes, and they're Bible tabs, Bible tabs for your Bible. Below, you'll find a link to order your own set of unique Bible tabs from our Etsy shop. And I just blew up my time at church and serving and overcommitting and busy schedule. And you would have looked at my life and thought, man, that girl's got it together. She looks like the ideal Christian woman. She married this awesome man who um, is a true blue Texas cowboy. I mean, looks dang good in a pair of Wranglers. And they go to church and they've got these two beautiful babies with the smocked, you know, monogram uh, pajamas and uh, their rooms are perfectly pink and perfectly blue, the cowboy boots and all of that. I mean, it was just like we were on point as far as the perfect American Christian family. We literally had a white picket fence in our front yard. And so to look at that, you would have thought, man, they've really got this thing together. They really, they really are being blessed. They're really being blessed by God. Um, but the truth is, the truth is at the end of it, at the core is that our desires cannot be tamed. They can only be satisfied. And I was merely managing my sin on the surface level, just managing, trying to tame it and rein it in without allowing God to truly satisfy all of these abundant needs and deficiencies in my life. Um, I wanted to believe in him without really believing him. And that is the difference in our Christian lives. And I was a Christian, saved, going to heaven when I died, despite all of my rebellious choices, all of my promiscuity in my teenage years, all of the drugs I tampered with, all of my um, hypocrisy. Uh, I was saved and knew that in my heart, but it, it was there was something keeping me from this receiving end of God's grace. I could tell everybody else about God's grace. I could tell everybody else and preach sermons very early on. The Lord gave me a call and a love for words and story and communicating. And I went to school and I got degrees in those things and learned how to do those professionally. Then I started to make a paycheck doing those things. And so even looking at all of that, there's these um, talents and gifts that he's built and designed into us. And yet even still, I could stand up in front of a room of thousands of women and tell them that God loves them, that his grace is for them, that nothing that has happened in their life has been a mistake, that he is completely sovereign, governing, and all of his authority and holiness and graciousness, uh, the inheritance that he has given us, that he wants us, that he's finished the work, that there's nothing left for us to do but receive that full work. And then when we receive that love 
and freedom, that's when we want to obey. So I had all of those points clear. I could present the gospel message of Jesus Christ and not receive it fully for myself. And that is why I cry every time I say this, because this this is what changed for me. This is where I finally got it. This is where the light bulb goes on. And this is where I cannot get over that I get to every day wake up and help others understand and embrace and take hold and claim this message for themselves. That came through so much pain. I mean, literally the bottom falling out on our life because of these festering wounds and unprocessed pain that I'd never dealt with. I used even Justin, my husband, to cover up my needs and to cover up all of this guilt and the shame that I felt inside from my past. And um, I was just the prime candidate and prime target that the enemy had studied for so long that when a man outside my marriage began to pursue me and notice things about me that Justin didn't seem to notice any more details, you know, of perfume that I wore or something that I loved or my new favorite song or color shirt that I wore. Um, it just was easier than I would have ever thought to compromise in that, in my marriage. And I did, I um, entered into an adulterous relationship with a man in my church, not just any man, uh, my best friend's husband at the time. And we were in an adulterous relationship for three years while leading in the church on staff at the church while both um, trying to manage all of this chaos and all of this lie. Um, and, you know, that's the really messed up part of what Satan does. He, he tells us somehow along the way, that's the lie. That's where it's distorting and tricky and um, where he's so good. Is it somewhere in the bondage? The lie becomes distorted that we believe that we are maintaining it for the sake of others. And that's the messed up part. That's where we really, really sink into this depression and isolation and true bondage of our mind is where we believe that we've got to keep up the facade of our sin, which is distrusting God, keep up the facade of our sin for the sake of him. For the sake of God, for the sake of others, because we love God, because we don't want to hurt other people, we're going to keep this thing up. And that's where I found myself too weak and too dumb, really, um, and too prideful to confess this thing outright. And I just carried this thing. But, you know, I'm a Christian. I have the spirit of God in me. So the darkness is eating my, I mean, eating my lunch. It is wearing me down. It is killing me off. Literally. I'm talking the sin of my life of adultery was physically wearing, my hair was falling out. My teeth were yellowing. Um, I was sick, running fever all the time. I mean, just my weight just dropping rapidly. I'm just sick. The sin is making me sick because I serve a God who does not let his children sin successfully. And now that time looks different for everyone. And that's not ours to judge or categorize. It is ours to be obedient every single day and trust the Lord with somebody else's life and timing. And for me, there was about a three-year period that the Lord just dealt with me and drug this thing on out. And 
my best friend found our phone records and exposed this lie. And everything that you want to think would have happened, happened. Everything. The bottom of our life fell out in this small town of 30,000 people. The, the people that I thought would never turn on us, turned on us. You know, rightly so. Rightly so. I don't say that for self-pity. Um, I lied to them for years. And here I am in this very strange situation of, of feeling very free for the very first time in my life. This lie is exposed. It's out. It's public record. Um, he calls me. The man that I'm in this adulterous relationship calls me, says, it's over. I say, good. And we hang up. And sincerely, that was 10 years ago today, as I'm talking right now, that was 10 years ago. And we have never had one form of contact or the desire to contact one another because the Lord really, really praise him, praise, praise him. I hope that somebody is hearing this and feels, maybe they feel so trapped in addiction or financial burden or a marriage that just sucks or this jerk boss that they're dealing with and they just feel like they cannot get above it. And I am living proof. I am living proof that God can put an end to this thing that you think will never be done. And there's only one way he does it. It's the way he did it for me. It's the way he's going to do it for all of us. And that is the unconditional love of grace that we must take him up on every single day. Every single day, we got to wake up and do it again. Take the grace that is ours that there is no deficiency in him. He doesn't need anything from us. He is just lavishing it upon us. When we are betraying him, when we are the adulterer, when we are walking away from him and the covenant promise that he's made with us. And that's what radically shifted my life forever 10 years ago was my husband, Justin, standing in front of me, truly completely filled with the Holy Spirit. He's very quick to say, um, don't pat me on the back too much because I was just as mad and hurt as you want to think I was, but yet consumed with the Holy Spirit and able to look me in the face when I had nothing to offer him, empty-handed, which is exactly what Jesus does for us, or empty-handed, we have nothing to offer him, and Jesus stares us in the eyes and says, I don't know how to not love you. And that was the exact words that Jesus spoke to me that just undid my life completely. I don't know how to not love you, Casey. I don't know how. I want to not love you. I want to walk away and take our kids and leave and never look back. But God has put something in me that is just forcing me to love you right now. And that picture of grace and him standing there and that mercy when I least deserved it is what truly, man, it just set my heart free. and. Then the work started. Then the work started of dealing with God. And okay, God, are you really saying that you um, have orchestrated and designed this whole life of me? That you've really given me abilities and callings that are my own, that I get to walk in and serve others with, that I don't have to do all of these things and be in all of these lanes. Are you really telling me that I can receive an unconditional love that needs nothing in return? And because of that, 
I am fully able to give that same love to other people, the most frustrating people in my life. God, you're telling me that because of what you did for me, I can love them like that. I can love them all day long in some of the most toxic, dysfunctional environments, and I can go further with them than I've ever thought of because of what you did for me. And just God saying every day, yeah, I want you to go further, Casey. I want you now to walk in the prison. Are you serious, God? Me? I mean, I need to be in the prison. I should have been in the prison after some of the things I did in high school. And you want me to walk in the prison and encourage and love the women that are here in your word of truth. Yes, Casey, that's what I want you to do. And I'm going to equip you to do that every single day. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. And man, it is such good work. And and listen, the work isn't over. I still struggle every single day. I struggled for years after all of this um, recovery of my own trauma, of my own life, of all the things I've been through, working through all those things, of fully receiving my husband's grace and letting the restoration happen. Man, we went to counseling. Man, we got some people around us. Yes, we moved towns. We started over in a completely different um, environment and church and people because the Lord will let us, but He, we had to. We had to. And man, the grace that He's given over and over and over, um, a few years after moving to our new town, after all of this um, wonderful reconciliation with my husband, and yes, even reconciliation with my best friend, who I betrayed. Amazing, incredible. Never hear that story. It's so speaking good. Can't go into all that now, right now. So I went into it in a new book that's coming out this November called Nothing Wasted. And I talk about this unbelievable story of reconciliation between me and the wife that happened because that's what God is able to do when we trust him. It's this crazy thing we never believe. Anyway, a couple of years later, after moving to College Station, where we live now, I received uh, a cancer diagnosis. I was rushed in for a hysterectomy. They did the hysterectomy and found tumors all in my abdomen. Crazy. I was stage four um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a very aggressive cancer that I was completely asymptomatic of, had no symptoms. And here I am, stage four. They give me five years to live. And I'm telling you, it was the it was one of the hard it was not as hard as the season I'd walked to my thirties through adultery, but it was a different kind of hard because now, now my life was not this was not between me and any other relationship. Everything in my life had been relational in nature. And I blamed everything else and everybody else. But now a cancer diagnosis? This is between me and God. This is between the one who created me. There is no one else to look at. I've got to deal with him straight on. And I've got to run through the ringer. Everything I think I know about him, is it true or is it false? And that's what I did. I laid in my bed for three years of chemotherapy and I dealt with the sovereignty of the Lord. And I asked him every hard question and I got mad at him. And man, I let him have it. I'm telling you, he let me have it. And it was awesome. It was awesome because I had nothing else. I mean, in my, I could have died. The Lord chose to heal my body. I know that ultimate healing is um, with him forever in glory, but I'm healed in here and now for today. And I'm grateful to be in remission. And I am grateful to be coming into this new decade of my life 
um, truly, truly believing him, not just believing in him, but believing him. And I'm just so grateful to share that message with whoever will listen. So thank you for letting me share it now. Oh my goodness. That was a roller coaster of so many emotions and especially on my (laughs) end. And I'm very thankful. Like I was muted, but oh my goodness, that is, I'm just, I've got no words at this point. Um, And I can't wait to read this new book as well that I still need to read the previous one, but I'm really, really excited about this next book. And if I'm correct, I was just looking, it comes out November. Yes. November 12th. Awesome. That is, uh, I'm so excited for you. And I'm just excited about what God has done in and through you and that you are, you're vocal about it and you're not just going to, it's, it would be so much easier to hide in shame than come out and say, this is what, what I did. This is what I was doing. And you coming out, you're, you're opening up for so many other women that can come forward Mm -hmm. and shine light on these areas. And that's just, that's powerful. And your testimony truly, like we talked about before we even hit record, like I, like Christine Hain says, your past has the ability to give someone else a future and girlfriend, your past does like, Mm. oh my goodness. It was, it Mm. shook me to my core. It was Mm. so good. And how you're so raw with it and that you're, the emotions are there. I mean, they're real. You can hear it in your voice and Oh my goodness. It it was uh, so good. Um, well, thank you for letting me share it. Truly, yes. truly. Thank you. Thank you for just wanting to. And, yeah. you know, every day you, I loved what you said, take the grace that is ours. And, mm-hmm. um, that I wrote the, I wrote that down. That's actually going on a post-it now in my office. Like that, awesome. <laughs> it is good. Like I'm an old school soul. So I'm like, I could cross stitch that and put that on a pillow in my house. I That's love awesome. that. Do it, please. Yeah. You're, you're yes. a Southern, like you get it. So yeah. Oh I yeah. Mean, got, it's like I've monograms, got, right? Like, have oh it. yes. I've got the cross stitch framed <laughs> on my wall because if my yes. dad walks in here and doesn't see it, it's going to be a big, big thing. Yes. But yeah, yes. I've got a post-it. I've got a post-it note right now on my wall that just says, take it. That's all it says. Mm-hmm. Take it. And it just reminds yes. me every day to just claim what is mine in his, in, in him. And I just, I love that. And I think if we did that more often, man, we would really be waging war against our enemy every single day. And we would see tremendous moves of faith and obedience in our life. Yeah. And it's just taking that step and uh, just taking that step and moving forward. Like it, it's easier said than done, but you got oh, yeah. to take that step. Yeah, um, it's hard. Uh, one thing I ask everyone um is how do you stay consistent in the word? What works in this season for you? Each season obviously is different. Um, what works for you in the season you're in today? Um, that's such a great question. So important. And my main point there to stay consistent is don't overthink it. And by that, I mean, we can think ourselves out of the thing that helps us think. We can think of every other thing we need to be doing or all the things we think we need to know to approach the Bible, mm-hmm. like, you know, the best commentary or, you know, so many listening to so many podcasts or whatever. And you just, 
You don't. The Lord wants to speak to you the same way that he speaks to your favorite author or Billy Graham or your favorite theologian. He can speak to us the same way. And again, I say, take it, take it and don't overthink it. Get into the word every day and just read. Don't overthink where you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do. I'm literally in Second Kings right now and just want to crawl in a hole and rock back and forth and drink chocolate milk because it is too much. It is too much. And I'm just every day, I'm not, I'm not overthinking anything. I'm just making myself, regardless of how I feel, get in and just consume it. Just consume a chapter a day if that's all I can get in. But I do, I personally stay consistent by getting up every single morning and making sure that I read every morning. So I don't let myself walk out of the house or walk into another room until I read something. Oh, I take that back. I do walk to get coffee. I do walk to get coffee and then come back. And I make sure my phone is not in the same room. Because if my phone is in the same room, I will choose my phone. That's horrible. I hate that about myself. It is my sin in my flesh. But I will. I just choose to get that temptation in a whole other room. And don't let myself even really start moving until I've read something, something. So that's that's my encouragement is that we just start in the morning. We get something in. You can go back and do deep study later, but start your morning with the meat. That's so good. Yes. Um, and what is something you hope our listeners take away from our conversation today? Oh, I'll just go with what the Lord has led me to say. And it's not, it's always a little bit different, but I'm just going to go with that. Take it. I want that mentality of, of to know that we can talk a lot about God and we can even believe things about God that we've not yet let be true for ourselves. So that's the crazy way our mind works and the, and the reason he tells us to renew it, that the way to renew our mind is to be transformed by that truth. And that's why he's saying that, that it's in the mind, is that we can take in a lot of messages over the course of our life about who we think God is or who someone else says him to be. And we can actually believe some of those things and yet them not take hold as our reality so that there are defaults. So we can have messages in our brain that we roll over and when we're having a conversation. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And yet, when we're actually in the moment of choosing that as an action, it's not going to be our default, which tells us it's not become a core part of our reality and identity. So it's not until we receive forgiveness and grace for ourselves. And this is not about self-care at all. That's not my intention here. I'm not a huge proponent of it, actually. But we do we do need to take God up on his offer to be exactly who he's always been. So I hope your listeners, um, which thank you just again for even giving me a, a voice here, just say that to themselves every day that I'm not, I'm not going to be able to fight any battles in my home. If I don't believe that I can, I'm not going to be able to um, really serve my husband or that friend who's difficult or my boss who's a jerk or whatever the situation. I'm not going to be able to overcome this addiction. I'm not going to be able to get out of this depression unless I truly believe God is who he says he is. So I, I want to believe him. So take hold of who God is, not who you are, not who everybody else is. Take hold of who God is and he will tell you who you are. He will tell you who you are. 
amen in that. Amen in that. Again, I just want to say thank you again, especially being flexible. And we finally got our, well, my schedule to work out and we made it work. And I've loved, loved, loved getting to hear you speak. It's been amazing. Thank you. Well, you are gracious and you are wonderful. And I'm so glad that there are women like you that are bold and brave and putting words out there and giving women just an opportunity to share their story. It is truly the method of teaching that Jesus loves. He tells so many stories and knows that that is um, the parts of us that are the same. So in this world where there's so many different things, story is the part of us that is the same. So thank you for giving us a way to that. I want to thank our guest again for coming onto the podcast and sharing their testimony. It's not easy sharing the story of where you came from, how you got to where you are, what God is doing in and through your life, but it's through that bravery that gives another woman who's listening a chance to find out her own story and write it down and be brave enough to share it. When we bring these things to the light, God can do even more than we could imagine, guess in our wildest dreams. I also want to remind you to go ahead, make sure to subscribe, like, I don't know all the buttons, but also leave a review of the podcast that helps us reach more listeners that need to hear these testimonies. And until next time.